Fear the Walking Dead, the podcast, an unofficial discussion of the news and events surrounding Fear the Walking Dead with Quinn Warner, Stephen Payne, Bruce McGee. I'm Bruce McGee. I'm Steve Payne. I'm Quinn Warner. And this is Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast, episode 5 for September 29th. Yes. 2015. Welcome back. So, what are we talking about today, Quinn? Alright, so we finally get to see another sort of thing outside of the fenced-in area. We saw a little bit of the outside world when um, when Madison kind of broke through the fence in the right. previous episode, but this episode we actually get to see what happens in the hospital. Right. And it was so gruesome and, like, Silent Hill-esque and so gross and dirty. It was so good. Obviously not originally a hospital. No. Because it's got (laughs) chain-link fences and the patients, quote-unquote, are locked in the chain-link fences. Oh, by the way, we have uh, returning guest Sean Igu. Welcome back. Hi. It's good to be back. So, um, what's that? Igu. 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 Okay, I do. Kind yeah. of like I do, but yeah, not I'm as gross. Like French to the French accent, Mark. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a French name? Uh, I think it's Irish. Irish. Okay. Yeah. I think you told me that. Okay, and um, so this week also. Um, and we see the we see the DZ as well. I guess the dead zone or whatever. Yeah. Right. Which is pretty. Pretty horrific, actually. It was so, like, okay, it was so intense. So many things were happening. Travis is, like, in the tank, having to, like, experience all this happening. He goes through this entire situation. I still don't like him. I still think he's, I still think he's boring. I don't know if he, I don't know if, I think, I think by this point I can come to the conclusion that he's a bad actor. Like, no offense to the actor. Right. But, but perhaps this is kind of bad scripting or maybe Cliff bad Curtis. Maybe. I don't know. It's just, he's not really doing it for me. He's really boring. There was one part where he was supposed to be, like, surprised by something. I don't remember the exact, like, context. But he was so just, like, monotone. And, like, he just seemed like a person reading the lines. He's very low-key yes. at the very least. Like, um, you know, you know, that kind Gary of... Gary um, Cooper-esque. Right. <laughs> I just, I don't know. He may. Or Oz on Buffy, you know. Except Oz always had something going on. He could rise to the occasion later on. Who knows? I hope so. Because at this point, it's kind of like, all right, if I had to pick anybody from this cast of characters to, like, get eaten by a zombie. Have their face (laughs) here. Your choice. Yeah. Well, um, Travis. The daughter makes me think that. Travis. so bratty. I just don't feel with that. Travis got up to the level of looking through a gun this week. So at some point, he's going to have to pull the trigger. Um, you know, he still couldn't do it. He saw the waitress as a um, person still rather than as a zombie. Yeah. And um, has he killed any zombies yet? No. He is still of the mindset that, you know... He's still a zombie still virgin. people, because he's looking through the scope on the gun, and he sees, like, very obviously, like, this is not human, because he's looking, right, like, her from face. her head down. Right, And it's like, oh, gosh, I, like, yes, I can probably kill this zombie... But then he sees the name tag, right? And he associates humanity with it, and he right. just he can't She's do it anymore. She's a person. 
Maybe they can help our next-door neighbor before she chews her husband's face off when he comes back home. <laughs> that general, or whatever his rank is, that is such an asshole, I just... <laughs> Didn't he die? Didn't he go out on a run with oh, his when troops? Oh, and the, they go in the Humvee out in the city. And that's when the He's plan gone. changed. At least, you know, and that, like, we're looking back on that general that was playing golf. Yeah. Rather nostalgically, because... The next guy down, he says, my plan is to get home to see my kids. Yeah. And I'm out of here, and what are we going to do? Operation, uh, what was the name of Cobalt. it? Cobalt. Cobalt. Cobalt yeah. is the evacuation yeah. protocol. Evacuate the military, kill the civilians humanely. Um, we're going to humanely kill the civilians. I'm getting, I'm getting all these images of Chris Hedges in the corporate state, and these are the enforcers of the corporate state. Well, and when the state breaks down, what happens with them? Aristotle said that government becomes corrupt when the governmental forces... Yay, Aristotle. My main man, main squeeze, Aristotle. <laughs> I like him, too, and it may have been my, you know, my bias. He's, a, he's a hard-headed realist. Yeah. Anyway, him. he said government like hard-headed realist. becomes corrupt when you stop serving the people and start serving yourselves, and obviously killing your wards and people. Did you ruin it? I don't think so. Okay, good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so the, the, the American empire is shrinking as yeah. we speak. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the zombies uh, apocalypse. Yeah. Um, well, now on to Daniel Salazar. It seems like one of us predicted... What a badass. <laughs> he might have been in a death, a squad. death yeah. squad. Now, which one of us was that again? Oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean. called it the first <laughs> first time we ever talked about it because I said, why would they... Because normally you've got a lot of people in Los Angeles from Mexico. Well, here's this guy from El Salvador from yeah. the 80s. Yeah. What was that about? I've been saying all along, wouldn't it be cool if he had that? <laughs> and the thing about it, like, the bad guys in the apocalypse often turn out to be the people like the governor. I think he was like an insurance salesman before. Yeah. So what becomes then of a war criminal in the zombie apocalypse? And it may be that that's the guy you need, and he actually knows how to keep it in check. Like, yeah. He doesn't just beat the shit out of the dude. He carefully flays his arm uh, in so such a way that cool. if he so chooses, he can so be sewed back up. But uh, And it's just like... It's not even the flaying of the arm, like that. I mean, that's torturous in and of itself. But the way that he's talking to this soldier, right? He's like he's describing exactly like how deep he should cut into his arm to make yeah. it hurt the worst, and like telling the story about like how he can't tell his daughter what he does or right. he never has. And it was just like that in and of itself, and like his delivery of that entire monologue was just like <laughs> perfect. It was so good. Well, and it was all very controlled. Like right. none of this was out of control. He's he's totally it's like I know what to do in a situation like that. And it's because of that that we know the military is in about twelve hours going to shoot everybody. And yep. so there's a chance to do something about it. I'm not sure if they'll break out of the enclave and leave or drive the military off. Um, yeah, I kind of like having the enclave because yeah. that's what keeps us from running out into the desert and just kind of hiding under a cactus. 
looks like it's going to be that from now on, though. <laughs> right. What What is it going to be like next season? Um, <laughs> mm, life in or, the desert. <laughs> yeah, I really don't want that because we've had five years of them wandering around the same little patch of woods in Georgia. Even now that they've moved to Alexandria, which is inside of Washington, D.C., still actually being filmed in Georgia, right? Yeah. They haven't changed that. So they've actually moved the the parent series into the Washington area. Yeah, they they decided that was the best shot at survival of civilization, that if any place survived, it would have been there because the government would have taken care of itself. Absolutely. Yeah, like a hardened bunker or whatever else. Right, but they're down in their hardened bunker, so I don't know how much good they'll be. Dick Cheney will be have, have taken back over. <laughs> <laughs> His automatic heart keeps him from turning into a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Because <laughs> it won't stop, you know. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that whole episode, I kept thinking, he's not going to get anything out of this kid. This kid likes the daughter, and yeah. he's telling him. But it turned out he was, in fact, sitting on this huge truth, right? Yes. Oh, it's so good. Oh, let's talk about um, the scene where Chris and... Um, Alicia are in the rich person's house. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just kind of footloose. That was so, so cute. <laughs> I liked it too. I could see them getting together. I know. that They had that moment where she was kind of like almost undoing cuddly. the dress. Right. Cuddly. Well, yeah. or, or, she was or, looking at herself in the mirror. And pre-cuddly. <laughs> yeah. he, he spotted her and ran away. Yeah, he just she kind said, of turned around. <laughs> she got this look in her eye like, yeah, I got the power. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Now she knows that she can get whatever she wants. Right. Right. <laughs> no, She'll do okay in the zombie apocalypse. She'll bat her eyes. And... It was very, very cute. And it, like, it was yet another scene that kind of like preserves the humanity in the zombie apocalypse. Well, it, it's, almost... it's an echo of that Monopoly scene right. earlier. But it's oh, also a right. way to, to deny the reality, frankly. And they're wearing, like, towards the end of that scene, you see <clears throat> Alicia is wearing this, like, beautiful, like, Evening dress, right? And then uh, Chris is wearing this like tuxedo, and they just <laughs> right. start breaking shit, and it's right. so good. Mm-hmm. Well, and like Stephen was saying, it's almost something that you would do before the apocalypse. Like mm-hmm. kids break into somebody's house, and um, it was like the looters before mm-hmm. a few episodes before that. Mm-hmm. But well, like um, <laughs> you know, kids breaking into the garage and joyriding the car around. Yeah. And, Leaving it parked at the 18th hole in the golf course. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter because we're all going to die anyways. Drink and be merry. But I mean, kids would do that normally. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's just what you do. But at some point, they're going to have to make that step to say, you know, we're in a different era now. Mm-hmm. And they were drunk too, or at least Alicia was, because you see her drinking like straight out of a champagne bottle. Right. So. <laughs> well, and. There's a similar scene in uh, The Walking Dead when, um, oh, the guy with the crossbow, um, not Earl, Earl's brother, Daryl. Daryl and um, the doctor, I didn't look this up ahead of time, so maybe, but the doctor's daughter, I can't remember. But anyway, they break into an old country club. 
And um, it's not pretty much broken anyway because zombies have been, you know, the country club people came there to get away from the mm-hmm. zombies and then became zombies. And so yeah, I like the line that reflects that. But what happened just, to the rich people? We're, right. And they're looking at all these pictures around. And, yeah, and it's this idea of, okay, they break into the rich place because apocalypse and I can do it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can drink. They were hunting something to drink in the country club. <laughs> Turns out the country club people had drunk it all, except schnapps, and Daryl winds up throwing it against the wall and saying, "You can't have your first drink, these schnapps." Absolutely not. <laughs> then they go out to the shed in the woods where they had a moonshine still. Hey. Drink that. Gross. <laughs> they used to make it out here in the country. So oh yeah, uh, lots of it. I've had. Um, this um, apple flavored moonshine. It wasn't like apple moonshine. pie. Yeah. Was it, it was more like cider or something? Like hard cider? Mm, it was harder than hard cider, but it wasn't as hard as moonshine. You know, like yeah. illegal moonshine. It wasn't yeah. like that, but yeah. it was something kind of close some, in the legal realm. That stuff you buy like at the. It was in a mason jar. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Homemade stuff? Or? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was pretty good, actually. Some of the best alcohol I've ever tasted, and I don't really. I'm not really a fan of alcohol. So. Well, there was this season on uh, Justified where there was this woman up in the hills named Mags, and she was famous for her apple pie moonshine. <laughs> I had never seen the stuff before that season, and I think it kind of caught on because of that show. So now you go in the store and they got these big boxes yep. stacked up like wooden bo- wooden crates with apple with moonshine. pie moonshine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, when you drank that in the show, she'd always poisoned it, and so people oh. would die. So. Oh, well. <laughs> and Winchun can kill you anyway if it doesn't go right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, okay, so now anyway. that's our plug for uh, apple pie moonshine. Right. I did think Alicia <laughs> came out some this episode. She's been such a, you know, wallflower for the first several episodes. I liked seeing her. Okay, I'm riding the bike. This is my street. Yeah. You know, she gets I'm, I'm playful with Travis. Right. Not Travis. Yeah. Chris. <laughs> Chris. Her stepbrother. Yeah. And things like that happen. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> they're not really step... They are cohabiting yeah. until now. Like, he's been living with his mom. It's a weird situation, and I don't know how much they're going to explore that relationship, but I think that... Any way that they do it, if it moves forward, it's going to be a little bit weird. <laughs> well, that's that's in the same vein, too, the role of religion will play. This would be interesting to talk about the role family is going to play. Yeah. Because these families are, they're not even like a blended family. I don't know what you'd call them. It's, it's, it's essentially this created family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is what the United States is. It's an artificial or it's a created nation, not a nation founded on any, I mean, even though what people on the far right want to say, it's not a nation like any nations that have come before it. Yeah. Well, the, the natural human grouping, we're a couple of hundred thousand years old as a species, yeah. until the last 10,000 years or so, the only way you found people was as tribes. Yeah. And then you started developing the state kind of based on the tribe and never quite forgetting the tribalism, but trying to suppress it enough so you could get larger groups to cooperate. But when that collapses... It seems pretty natural that we tend to clump. And that's something in the Walking Dead series. Um, you know, people very rarely stay out 
in the apocalypse on their own. And yeah. when they do, when they come in, they're really broken. Yeah. Um, for the most part, there's this guy that Rick had met right at the beginning of the series that's recently come back. And somewhere along the way, he had an epiphany and became a Zen master. But for the most part, <laughs> you know, you're like Michonne dragging around your pet zombies with their arms cut off. Yeah. And, um, you don't even remember how to talk quite when you get get in with people again. So, you know, it's very much like, you know, recognizes the tribal nature of humanity, which I appreciate because we do have this myth of the individual. Which humans are, you know, I mean, you could see, did we talk about the sea turtles? I'm going to say yes. We did? But perhaps not. Libertarians? Like, you can have... Refresh me. uh, Okay, good. (laughs) Well, it would make sense to have a libertarian sea turtle, because sea turtles are hatched out of the Mm -hmm. eggs on the shore. They run to the water and then swim off on their own and grow up. So, you know, that's a libertarian species. Humans are the most helpless. We have the longest... You know, we have a long gestation, and then we have the longest childhood. You know, essentially in our society until your late teens, early 20s, and at the very least until your early teens. Like, you can't push it back much further than, I'm going to go out and survive on my own. I'm 14 now. (laughs) Um, Bye, Mom and Dad. I just turned 11. I don't need you anymore. Right, right, (laughs) That was me at age 11. (laughs) So we are the least, as a species, we are the least able to live by libertarian principles, which is, you do it on your own. Yeah, because who needs we bridges? don't. Right, who needs bridges? And it, needs it flies roads? in the face of human history, not just evolutionary biology, but human history, which has been this natural urge to come together yeah. in a community. Yeah, you don't find rugged individuals. No. They're, they always they're, they're, Hollywood, they're Hollywood creations. Would you say that humans as a species are more of a like socialist species? Like, what would you? <laughs> Most I would say commu- I would say communitarian. Yeah. yeah. The next Some, thing to it. Something around in that yeah. on that side of the yeah. political spectrum. I yeah. Would say. Most tribes are fairly egalitarian. The richest aren't that much better off than the poorest. And yeah. People share stuff and they take care of each other. And you know there may be a bigger cut of meat for the guys that went out. Filled the antelope, but everybody gets some. Well, yeah. and you see I, some of that preserved in Latin America and Arabic countries, too. Right. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm no, that's fine. Uh, I think one of my favorite things about zombie series and about Fear the Walking Dead especially is that in Fear the Walking Dead, the families kind of start off like, this person isn't our blood relative, why are we helping them? Right. And then when push comes to shove, they're like, okay, we're pretty much the only people that we have right mm-hmm. now, so we kind of have no choice but to band together. It really brings out the humanity of everyone. Mm-hmm. And by putting people on like an equal playing field where it doesn't really matter if they're rich or poor because money right. doesn't really matter much anymore, it's it's very humanizing Absolutely. to the people, and especially yeah. by comparing them to like monsters like zombies. It it's, a dis- hard it's a disavowal of yeah. what's going on in contemporary society. Yeah, it would be hard to be the howls in this universe. <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, like on Gilligan's Island, they maintain their elite status, <laughs> trunk full of money, and. Uh, nobody cares. It's like, what can you can you kill an animal? Can you? Um, oh, yeah. Um, speaking of rich characters, we had a new 
guy this week who is rich and black. I love him. I love him so much. And he lived out the episode. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love him um, so much. Good. He may not make it out of two episodes, but he is a great character. He's awfully familiar to me for some reason. His voice. I think think it's his voice. He's a voice actor, I bet you. Yeah, he's got to be. I recognize him. And that voice, he he knows that he has a good voice because he drags it. He's also a psychologist. (laughs) He studies human behavior. Like the the guy that um, Travis had to talk out of the bathroom last week. Yeah, yeah. He was parking his car. Well, we thought he was dead, but mm-hmm. he's actually been rounded up and taken, well, not anymore, taken to the right, <laughs> taken to the hospital. He's just kind of sitting there moping. And, um, I want to know his name. Like, not not the guy with the car, but oh, the, the rich. Uh, I know, and I don't think we ever heard the name set spoken. We haven't yet. Um, I don't want right to keep now. He's U, right now. He's UBD, unknown right. bathroom dude. Yeah. <laughs> like so, HRG and heroes. He um. He talked to that guy, you know, he kept saying, well, at least your wife has a lovely figure. She'll be able to find a man that, that can take care of her in the apocalypse. Right. So your, your luck is changing, and the guy just crumbles. Which so cool. I would have thought he would jump up and beat the guy's ass, so he knows his mark enough to know, okay, I can get him to go even crazier and get him out of here so I don't have to listen to him cry. And then for some reason he decides that Nick... Is useful because he's the gold standard of drug addicts. <laughs> he's on heroin, dude. Heroin. That was such a good exchange when Nick says, oh, yeah. "I'm an addict," and he says, "No, you're a heroin addict." That's yeah, the gold yeah. standard. <laughs> it's like I need your talents to get out of here. Like, so he has a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, I love him so much. They need each other. He's such a cool character. They need each other. But he could if they don't. You know, do what they always do to black male actors in this Walking Dead series. Is, is, is uh, he could turn out to be a pretty good, like, if not the leader. I don't think he. I don't think people will stand for him being the leader. I don't think he doesn't he, have any character. I can see if y'all have seen the. Uh, you've probably seen it. I feel sure, but y'all may or may not have seen it. The, the old film, The Great Escape, with James Garner. It's an old World War II film. It was made in the sixties. Is that where they make the plane? No, they make the tunnel. To, it's it's oh, based okay. on a true story. They break out of a Nazi concentration, a Nazi POW camp in World War II. And it's based on a true story, but it's been Hollywoodized. But anyhow, James Garner played on the Rockford Files. He was Jim Rockford, and he played this character who was a scrounger, who was re- loosely based, even a little bit, on Jim Garner himself in Korea. And, but he was he was very roguish, and, and, and there's a there's a name for that type in literature, the Picaro, but the rogue, of the scoundrelly well, kind of the, character. And I can see this guy being a rogue kind of a character, which yeah. might be pretty entertaining. Actually, I like those characters. All so. of those World War II movies, when you had had like this group of guys that had this impossible mission, mm-hmm. they always had the guy that scrounges everything. Right. Okay, you need to get us a tank. And or get us a short wave, a short wave sending right. or whatever. And, and, so um, I can see this guy being that scrounger. I don't like. Okay, this guy, he's he's like battling with Nick now. He's like my top, like my top son in this uh, television series. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cool, and um, the characteristics that you described is why I don't think that he could be sort of like a leader of sort of a congregation of people. He's too. Sneaky. He's, right. He's too underhanded. But at the same time, I don't think he could be like a scrounger type person. 
a scrounger kind of has this connotation of, you know, like, you know, crawling on your belly through the dirt. Right. And and in like fact, he thinks done. Nick is his scrounger, so I think right. you're right. Yeah. I think I think he's too high class to be labeled as like a scrounger. <laughs> he he can get things that people need, but he's not going to like be secretive about it. He's well, he going to be a puppet master. He could be. That's a better way to describe yeah. him. Puppet master and <laughs> negotiator when dealing with other tribes. Um, he's so cool. He'll be the one to sit down at the table and you know make the deal. Yeah. Um, well, I would like to see his character <laughs> stay politic. on for a while and <laughs> see politic. how he does. Yeah, in the hospital, we didn't go too much into it, but it looked more like a high school gym that they had put... Yeah. Commandeered, maybe. Yeah, put chain link in, and then there's some hospital-y kind of areas yeah. in the building. There's lots of, like, uh, like clear, like, <coughs> tarp-type things right. all around, covered in blood. It's very, like, Silent Hill-esque. It's very... Very creepy, very scary, but it's it's a really cool environment, especially in a zombie apocalypse type of setting. You know, this points up that they're they're really skilled at creating atmosphere. That's what they're yeah. doing. Oh yeah, yeah. So the atmosphere I, is really. I trust the Walking Dead creators to make a good atmosphere. Yeah, like like Terminus. That was pretty yeah. awesome. Uh, you know, I remember I'm talking about it in the talking. You know, Talking Dead. They came on and said that was an actual place that they found, you know, an abandoned old whatever. Oh, God, that's creepy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they couldn't afford to build a set like that. Right. um, Here this place was. They just used it. Nice. Here's the butcher shop for the cut-up bodies of dead people that we've killed and are going to eat. Then they had this, like, round temple room where... um, you know, never again, don't trust anybody, and there were like a spiral of candles or something in there. They had made this kind of new religion around their cannibalism. Cool. <laughs> and that was Very that, interesting. That was where our Carol killed their Carol, uh, you know, the queen bee of the um, opposition. No, she didn't kill her. She wounded her and opened the door and let the zombies get her. It's like, I'm not going to kill you. You're going to get eaten by zombies, you bitch. You don't deserve to be killed. Right. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, that, yeah. So, anyway, I guess next week they've got to get the family out of the enclave and get somehow to that hospital area. I imagine they're going to get the soldier to show them the way. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy they're going to sew that arm back up. Yeah. Now that he's told the truth. Um, I liked the part where. Um, and he might wind up staying with the. He might. The, that's the, that's the how I'm getting the vibe. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be sort of like brought into the family. But, um, <laughs> they call him Lefty. While. <laughs> 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 um, while Daniel Salazar is, like, uh, talking and, like, getting all of this information out of the soldier, the soldier tells him about all of the people that the soldiers found that were infected, and all these, they just put them all in the stadium. Yeah. And then, at the end of the episode, Salazar goes to the stadium, all of the doors are boarded up, and you just hear, like, banging and clashing and the zombie crack. Right, and the, yeah, the doors are... Rattling, they're, rattling about to, they're about to bust out of there. It's not very well contained. They're I got to, to wondering after that how many 
layers of zombies would you have to kill before they became the door themselves and the rest of the zombies would never be able to push out, you know. Oh. Like, uh, just stand there and, okay, kill all the ones next to the door and all the ones behind that. <laughs> All the ones behind that. Are they just stoppable by a bullet to the brain? Right. In other words, could you could you launch a chemical attack on them? If no. it melted the brain. Yeah, it would have to, It requires like... Well, like a neurotoxin, I'm wondering. Maybe. I wondered about electricity. Well, I said if that, that could disrupt could the brain enough to yeah. kill it without actually physically... Right. Because that's what makes a brain work. Even a zombie brain It's electro-biochemical. Yeah. yeah. Not sure. It's, it's hard to say because, like, it if would if they wanted it to. If the writers right. wanted it to, right? Absolutely. If they wanted it to, it could. But I don't. I don't know. It, it has to, like, from what we understand, like, it has to be this, like, terminal damage to the brain, like, <clears throat> from what we've. It's been described. Like it has to be physical, bolt. right? Like the cattle bolt. And I don't. If you release a neurotoxin and. It damages the brain, but the brain itself is still intact, and it like could potentially like function properly. Like if the neurotoxin was not introduced, I'm not so sure that it would de-zombify them. Yeah, like it wouldn't prevent them from coming back as a zombie. Zombies tend to be more like they can come back. You can chop off their arm, and they'll just keep coming. Yeah. yeah. Chop off the bottom half of their body and. The top just keeps crawling along, so you're probably right that it would be more consistent with our zombie movie tradition. I think it would have to be a physical... At least uh, modern zombies, yeah. Have have we seen anything besides, like, shots to the head that seemed effective at, like, killing or harming zombies? Just basically, either that or chop their head open. Yeah, right. Anything. Chop the head off. The Shaun of the Dead, like, newscaster, you know, you have to remove the head or destroy the brain. Yeah, that's pretty standard for all zombies now. <laughs> Prescription for zombies. <laughs> you have zombies. Oh, there is we have, like we have just a plan for you. Four out of five doctors recommend <laughs> destroying the brain. It calls out that kind of parody sort of ad. You know, it's hysterical. Um, TV series that we discussed at one point, In the Flesh, where they have yeah. people that like have been reanimated, and, yeah. yeah, and aren't like totally zombies. You can give oh, them. They call them rotters. I understand, really? which is actually a British. Yeah, that's actually a British slang word. Like, that's why you use somebody's a rotter, they're a rotten human being. But yeah. I, call them I do a think they may have. Did you see that series? I, it sounded interesting. I just, I, yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I, I looked at the article up on Wikipedia. I own it. I've not watched it yet. It's sitting <laughs> on a shelf somewhere. I know. It's sitting on your have shelf you somewhere. Have you seen any of them? Um, any of no, but I know the it gist is, of what it's you'll about. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. The main character seems like a cutie. <laughs> and he feels bad about what he did when he was a zombie. And he right. kind of remember what you did. Yeah. Um, but he, um, you know, they've got drugs they can give you and training to bring you back from being a zombie. Right. It so. kind of reminds me of the commercials for the animated movie Paranorman. Where these zombies came back from the dead and they're like trying to rehabilitate them a little in the commercials. And they're like, remember, zombies are people too. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, what degree? And in Fear of the Walking Dead, or in Walking Dead, you know, the two series, because the zombies act the same, there is some tendency to return home. You know, but not a whole lot. Like, 
you know, there are versions of the movies where, like, postal workers will hang out at the post office, and they don't, there's not a whole lot of that. You don't, you know, it's hard to know in this if it's even intentional or they just randomly wander by every so often. It's like, uh, They shuffle in circles aimlessly. It's like in Shaun of the Dead when they're, like, trying to plan what they're going to do to wait out the apocalypse. <laughs> they go to the pub. Goal. They go to the pub. They spend most of their time at the pub, so they're going to go there. It has reinforced walls. It's got food. It's got drinks. They'll be fine. It's got a basement. So. Right. But then it works out. It's you got these huge windows, and, you know, it was not that great a plan. I love I love that movie. If you've never seen Shaun of the Dead, you really I've need heard to of watch that. it. Is it more of a comedic type? Yes. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. but it's amazing. It's so it's, funny. It's a, it's Who's a comedy and a drama. Yeah, um, Simon Pegg. Uh, Simon Pegg's partner. Yeah, I guess that duo. I forget that, his name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But no, it's a really Is it like a buddy kind of a film? Yeah. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah, bit. but it's very sweet. It's uh, Some parts of it are very touching. There's parts mm-hmm. of it where, like, I cried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for the most part, it's a comedy. Yeah. And it handles zombies very well, I thought. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It was inevitable that somebody make a zombie comedy if you right. think about it. Because well, the genre is so hugely popular. I thought right that now. the way they handled it, like, it being a comedy, I would, like... I, I almost use comedy as a way of like coping with traumatic things sometimes. Sure, so like that's things. the whole nature of I, mash. The yeah. Series. yeah, I feel like that's a thing that would like happen in real life. Is you would just kind of treat it like lightheartedly. Almost. Yeah, to keep going. Yeah, like just the so you know, war movies yeah, where they so keep wisecracking no matter what. Like right. that scene. It's a defense. It's a defense mechanism. Like the jukebox comes on and they're all just like going around in a circle, <laughs> whacking this yeah. zombie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like it when zombie. Uh, pieces of fiction have a little bit of a comedy element to them. Yeah, because yeah. these are very serious shows. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Walking Dead, oh, yeah. The Walking Dead. And I appreciate that, too. But, I but really... they do have a little bit of dark humor. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I think comedy it really, is It's like dropping a bomb in the middle of it, too. It's just kind of funny to me. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, I actually kind of watch a lot of these kinds of programs, not just this program, but a lot of them like that just laugh my head off. <laughs> but, because they're, they tend to be kind of cheesy, a lot of them. Yeah. And Shaun of the Dead... It's like even the people who aren't zombies almost are. Like everybody's yeah. in these horrible dead end jobs, and they're just like, uh. <laughs> so the, you know, it's a metaphor for modern life, right? Yeah, in the postmodern world. Really. Oh, we haven't talked about metaphors yet. Is there a oh! metaphor for <laughs> for the zombies this week? The first week it was teen sex and drugs, or drugs and sex. Yeah. Probably in that order. Um, perhaps as a kind of kind of a recurring theme, perhaps the zombies represent the people, you know, um, in relation to like government media. Yeah. Because we're never being told the full story, and right. we never get any of all like all of the information, and we're sort of like happening in like our world today like the military is breaking into people's homes and right. taking children and well, they're shooting mili- innocent people and we've militarized our police so that mm-hmm. you know yeah. these no-knock searches carried out by SWAT because they heard you had a you know illegal goat you know and yeah or deer you were keeping a deer yeah which somebody you know found a fawn and raised it and, yeah you know SWAT came out and you know, basically 
invaded the farm where this was happening. And, you know, couldn't this be handled by Joe Friendly Park Ranger? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm here, I hear you've got a deer, i got to give you a ticket, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you've got to write a ticket at all, that's the traditional American way of doing it. Yeah. I've heard that on 9-11 we were all victims, and on 9-12 we all were suspects. And so your phone, my phone, is being monitored by the NSA. All of our um, movement, who we call, where we were, texts. You know, Facebook. The Orwellian state. Yeah, yeah even absolutely. more so than Orwell. I remember in Orwell, they snuck out into the woods so they could have a private conversation. Like, because they're little trees, they can't hide a mic because a mic is like this big. Yeah. You know, like a, you know, big as a pineapple. Well, <laughs> you know, what in here is watching. Well, you could us. have a you could have a drone oh. or something that's right. Yeah. You know, and nowadays everything we have is wired. Yeah. They could be, well, I'm sure they'll download our podcast, but, you know, we kind of want them to. Shout uh, out to the NSA, our (laughs) biggest fans. Right. Speaking of the NSA, at least somebody's listening. Yeah, I I still go back to that occupied territory sort of matter for last week. Well, yeah, we are occupied. Um, Again, the corporate state is occupying us all. Yeah. It's a very unsettling idea. Especially minorities, but the minute that, you know, you see people like, you know, kind of privileged white people start occupying Wall Street, well, then they get treated exactly that same way, you know. It's, um, it's you know, it's ready to roll. Um, and, you know, they've even got things, you know, the walker, the big white thing and the Star Wars that they had to oh, yeah. know, trip up. Yeah. The New York Police Department has stuff that looks like that. It's like, oh god, you know, goes up on, on like a, a stilt. It's elevated, kind of, yeah. 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 And then they're just monitoring everything, like taking pictures of everything, and all the electronic signals in the area getting, you know, uh, sponged up by this kind of mobile unit. Nobody really Wonderful. notices them. What? Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could absolutely see zombies as like um, sort of a means of redirecting your attention to this is something that's happening in the real world. Sure, right absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're taking real things and kind of putting the zombie twist on them. But you know, science fiction it's has always so. been able to deal with social issues that right. you can't deal with in normal fiction. Right. That's like, what I said about Canical for Leibowitz, that novel I was yeah. telling you about, because it was it came out during the Cold War when he and I were kids, and maybe before we were born, it may have been in the 50s, but anyhow, it came out, and, and it was about the bomb, yeah. the fear of the bomb, and, and, and civilization has been reborn, but it's it's basically, you know, the level of the early Middle Ages. Well, in Star Trek, you know, you this know, was a period where you could not show black people and white people kissing on TV, but... Jim Kirk could be totally making out with this green woman from Orion, you know. And, uh, they did a lot with racial uh, tensions. Absolutely. Like they had this one race, actually two races. Uh, they were half, you know, the left side of their face was black and the right side was mm-hmm. white. And then there was a subset of those which was reversed, you know. Yeah. Played, played by Frank Gorshin, who was the Riddler. Oh, one of them. Yeah, he was one of them. But yeah, he was one of the he was one of the characters. Anyway, these were the last two members of their race, and they were fighting to the death because, you know, 
you're left black and I'm right black, so we can't get along. And everybody else was saying, y'all are just alike, dudes. Don't you see it? To us, you look just alike. And, you know, to any alien that came to Earth, we all look pretty much just alike. We're 99% identical in our genetics. All the differences we see in the human race are just that little 1%. Yeah. Um, You know, to a giant mushroom. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, back to the episode. What else happened this week? Oh, we saw Lisa kind of start getting badass. Um, Yeah. Because she's doing the whole nursing thing. Getting no sleep, taking care of everybody. Right. And she wants to go check on her friend Griselda. And, you know, the doctor's, like, shocked. We had to take her foot off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now she's got sepsis. Um, why don't you believe me when I say we're taking care of her? Well, because government. Yeah. <laughs> I'll trust you. I don't trust don't you. Don't trust anyone over 30. Old hippie mantra. Well, um, anyway, they... Um, are trying to sort of take care of her, but eventually she does die. And the doctor's saying, well, we have to put this... They've got this... Pneumatic gun. Yeah, boat... Slaughterhouses. This boat comes out really fast and then comes back in so you can use the same gun over and over. Yeah. Um, it doesn't shoot anything out. It just... It's very point. quiet. I, I yeah. saw this big gun. I didn't know anything about it. And I thought that... I was kind of getting a little bit excited because I thought it was going to be like this gory mess, mm-hmm. like your skull splits open and you can see all of her brains. Just right. That's all kind of what you're used to. In it's been, it's yeah. been used in some murder mysteries as a murder weapon. It's but a pretty it's, interesting device, actually. It's so quiet and fast. It's just <coughs> a little tiny hole on your forehead. Well, you know, it's funny. Have you ever seen one of these little, like, home putters, like... You're, you're, you're a golfer and you want to practice your green oh, game. And yeah. You put into the thing and then it shoots it back to you. Yeah. Well, the little thing in there is just like that bolt. Yeah. Like my dad used to have one, except it's smaller and doesn't kill you. But I would, you know, make the little thing trigger and bonk, you know. Out of <laughs> it even sounds the same. Yeah. Um, so you can use that technology for your little putter in your office. Or you can kill people with it yeah. if you make it big enough. It's a good invention. But it was um, pretty humane, you know, it just bonk, and there's hardly even a... It was. And there's no blood because she's dead. Yeah, she was already dead. Right. It was just a preventative measure to keep her from coming back. Mm -hmm. That was revealed in this episode that... We do now know that everybody comes back. Everybody comes back. Everybody comes back. So apparently it is... They've already discovered this pretty quickly. Yeah. I think that's probably the most humane way to, like, get rid of somebody if they start turning. Like, to wait until they die, and then you have to, like... Go, you have to kill them. Right. Yeah. And if they turn, then it's just going to be like a horrifying it's be experience. A big for mess for yeah. everybody, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> something that was very, very interesting and very cool was uh, before Griselda actually like passed. Um, she had. This, oh, she was delirious. She she was having this like bout of delirium, mm-hmm. and she was just speaking like. I forget everything that she said because it was, you know, subtitled and everything. Mm-hmm. She was speaking in Spanish, but she was saying and the things like... the subtitles are T-19, yeah. too. They're virtually unreadable. It was like, um, I know your nature, now you know mine. Like, 
like take my flesh and things like that. It was oh god, very unsettling. It's like a visionary well, experience. Almost. To me, yeah. I thought she was probably talking about Daniel. Yeah, like I fell in love with a monster. You know, and he does take people's flesh, right? I mean, here's his barber's tools that he uses every day to shave people, and he knows how to flay people with a very steady hand. He shows, yeah, that was you know, so he holds cool. his hand out. You've got to have a steady hand for this work. And uh, after thirty years, mine is still pretty shaking. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I have a shaky hand. You have to relax it. Yeah, I'm naturally very shaky. Yeah. <laughs> See, both of my parents have shaky hands, and so I've always been worried about myself. It's not Parkinson's. They call it some... Oh, the non-essential tremor? Yes, that's it. And uh, I've always been afraid that at some point my... So I've always worked really hard to make my hands steady. Maintain your steadiness. Yeah, and the more you fight it, the more you shake. So you actually have to kind of relax... Hey, look, look at you. Nice. We're steadying our hands. We're having a steady hands seminar. (laughs) But my dad, you know, he would get really nervous, even like changing out a light. It was hit or miss whether he would get the light out or break it off, you know. (laughs) So I, okay, can't can't get excited about it you just have to relax you know my nine-year-old something will go wrong with something on his ipad he's sitting there wailing like a siren and you know i say i can't work like this we i have to relax to work um because if i get then i then I get uh, nervous and start shaking. Also, my brain doesn't work right. Yeah, I think most people are kind of like that, and that's why somebody like Daniel is so handy. Yeah. In this apocalyptic situation, is because he's got a steady hand, but also a steady mind. Right. Right. This doesn't throw him. He's been through it. Um, he knows how bad it can get. This isn't like the worst that he's seen. This right. Is like, this is nothing for him. So. No. These wimpy Americans. Weak, it's the real, weak. what happens in the real crisis. Yeah. It brings out the real person. Yeah. That's a real convention in literature. Yeah. I think it's gonna but, be pretty awesome. I'm so excited. So, <laughs> stuff. so obviously, she's been carrying around her own kind of reflected guilt. Like, what's it mean to be yeah. married to a death camp guard? Yeah. You know, or you know, because essentially that's kind of what he. He was in yeah. some way, you know, he was part of a death squad. Death squad, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was so happy. <laughs> I can't tell you how happy I was. Did you think about me when it? Yes. Because <laughs> when I was texting you and you hadn't watched it yet, I was. I told you so, but I, I didn't want to ruin it. So. <laughs> you win. I win. I'm not sure what we were winning, but. Bragging rights. I will do that. I will brag because I definitely saw it that very first. You did. I I remember driving over here that day and saying, "Wait, where was that family from?" Um, because I thought I halfway remembered El Salvador, and then I looked it up, and it was it was El Salvador. Yeah, yeah. So getting visions of nightmares of Reagan coming back. Right, right, and uh, so. because this was going on when you were in graduate school and I was in college. 
at that time, right? Right. Mid-80s. Yeah, mid-80s. This is a really dark time in American history, frankly. Yeah. Only surpassed by the G.W. Bush administration. Yeah. Which is, which is <laughs> abysmally dark. We, we don't talk about that. <laughs> I mean, we Talk do. about zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. The zombies are in the White House. <laughs> With you, would that we really could. It's a coping mechanism. You just kind of push it out of your brain. It's like a depression sort of thing. And what about Madison getting in touch with her inner badass? Like, um, you know, she conspired with Daniel. She didn't know exactly what he was doing, but she knew he was going to torture that guy. Yeah. Do you want your son back? Yeah. You know, and that's all it took. And she's like, do what you got to with him. Yeah. Chop his finger off an inch at a time. You know, I like the way they're building that suspense, narratively speaking. With that, you know, they keep talking. They kept talking about Operation Cobalt, yeah. Cobalt, Cobalt, and you got a flash of it in the, the chatter over the Humvee radio set. And you hear a flash. They say Cobalt. Yeah. This is the first time you really hear it, yeah. and it really builds anticipation in the, in the viewers' minds because yeah. well, they're sitting there itching to find out what is Cobalt. Yeah. Really, because I write. I mean, this, I plant stuff in my stories so that it gets your right. blood like, kind of... The El Salvador thing was a plant, too. It was right. it's all for those who are ancient among us. And, uh, remember El Salvador. Uh, there was something I read that once, I think it was from one of the writers of Steven Universe or something. Uh, they said that good writing is not when you make your audience like say what and be surprised. It's when you make your audience say, I knew it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You gotta be And I, I think that's definitely what they're doing in Fear the Walking Dead. They're Absolutely. skilled. They're Everything skilled is script writers. very intentional. Well, yeah. and so we see two crisis points coming for next week. One is the army. Yeah. What are they going to do? The other is that stadium full of zombies about a mile away. That was away. a terrific game. Yeah. Yeah. That was terrific. Yeah. Uh, that's a classic cliffhanger. It's like you classic can, cliffhanger. Yeah. You can see so one of those things, things giving wrong. way and just all these zombies coming out and yeah. running yeah. up the hill. Yeah. And what they did yeah. was totally ineffective at the end. It bothered me narratively was that they gave those blasted coming attractions. Yeah. And they showed... You kind of stopped watching that. Well, but the, <laughs> the, the guy's name, Ruben Blattis' character, um, Daniel, Daniel Salazar... Salazar they show him next week, so evidently he gets out of the jam. That yeah. is crappy, really. That's, that's a really what crappy. gym was he in? He's standing there outside the stadium, and they're banging against the door trying to... Oh, look. yeah, but... but they, they showed him for next week, and I, I wouldn't have done that. I yeah, but how he, long are you he showed up later. Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking, though. I no, mean, he, yeah. he showed up later in that episode. He went back home and told them... No, I'm well, thinking but, for next week, when they were showing yeah, but, those coming attractions, it looks like he's going to be there. Oh, he's going back that. again? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me, and if that's the case, that, that's narratively speaking, really... I, I don't think do they can kill him off yet anyways. Yeah, I hope He's too important. Yeah, he's really... It would be really detrimental he's a really to the play. I think he's yeah. a mystic character. I like his character. I just yeah. really, He's very multifaceted and he's very... He's a mis- kind of a mystery man and I like the mystery Very character. complicated kind of... Because uh, obviously... And he... That's part of the conversation is, you know, what happens in this room changes both of us. Yeah. You know, and uh, I have to live with what I do here, but... Dude, you gotta tell me what you know. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't really gonna be fun for either of us. But, <laughs> you know, be fun. <laughs> that's one thing that kind of bothers me about this kind of show is it gives people the impression that torture works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what torture does is make people tell you what you want to hear. Exactly. Right. 
not the truth. And they'll say anything, including right. rat out their best friend or their mom or whoever. Just yeah, but they won't stop. really rat them out. They're just, what is it you want to hear? Yeah. Because, but, I mean, you know, they're, they're saying it just to make you stop. Yeah, I'll say whatever you want me to say if you'll stop. And so, Cobalt, you know, and this happened um, to much worse effect with the 24 series. Do y'all mm-hmm. remember that? Yeah. Jack Bauer and, yeah. you know, the first five seasons, he just tortured his way through uh, a bunch of episodes to the point that a, a Supreme, Supreme Court, Court justice, justice cited him in, in open court. Yeah, said, well, Jack Bauer, it works for Jack Bauer, so it must really work. And it's like... Are you kidding me? No. Which but one that, was it? Was that Scalia? It was one of the really right wings. Yeah, like either Scalia or, or, or maybe... Um, Alito was one of those fellows. You don't base so, your decisions you know, in no, real life well, on TV shows. Yeah, they can't we've distinguish got, fantasy from reality. We've ridiculous. got this amendment of its cruel and unusual punishment, and right. he's going to set that aside because he saw torture work on some fucking TV some show. Oh, my God. I'm serious. Oh. And, you know, that's why we are where we are right now, because, you know, for we years... We know it doesn't work. For a hundred years, we've had this kind of myth of the cowboy coming in and yeah. shooting up the place and saving everybody by killing just the right people and not the wrong people because yeah. of super magical aim and yeah. and the torture thing is part and, of and, that. And, and also this really keen, if, if not supernaturally keen, judgment too. Yeah. Right. That's, and that's all, that's fiction. Yeah, that's, but fiction. that's not reality. It became national <clears throat> policy with George Bush. Like before that, yeah. Ronald Reagan kind of practiced that or you know he 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 mouthed it off, but yeah. then he he practiced a more real politic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he didn't actually try to blow up the Ruskies. He actually he negotiated eventually some. negotiated a peace and some disarmament with them. Well, even 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 Nixon, he recognized you know, this isn't the world we live in. This, right. but you know, even, right after even Nixon did when you and I were kids. You remember he he, he, he reestablished China, exactly. Right. He reestablished the, the normal diplomatic relations with China. That Jack Bauer incident is quite a testament to just how impactful media can Absolutely. be yeah. on I'm, people and society as a whole. I'm hoping the Salazar incident, kind of yeah. since this is sci-fi and the, you know the apocalypse, maybe they'll understand that just as there are not real zombies, so. Playing a guy's arm is not yeah. a good way to get information, I but I don't know. have that much uh, faith in them. Yeah. I, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> no. I could see somebody citing this television show in a right. It worked for Cobalt. We found out about Cobalt that way. Yeah. Well, certainly, but before Reagan was inaugurated, but after he was elected, I think it was some Harvard students came out with this movie poster. <laughs> and uh, Reagan had this. His most famous movie was Bedtime for Bonzo. With that monkey. Was yeah, that he had yeah. a chimpanzee companion. Um, but this one was Bedtime for Brezhnev, and they had him <laughs> dressed up, you know, Reagan and the USSR dictator, and Reagan had him up by his had his shirt holding up and his gun. And, oh, wow. You know, it was like new sheriffs come to town. You know, and oh, it was a satire of the way he acted like he believed but even he didn't give in to that George Bush did Mm -hmm. he did that was our national policy is bedtime for Saddam yeah Yeah. um, (laughs) the dark map for Saddam yeah 
So what do you predict for it? Is next week the final, or is it two more weeks? No, next is the last episode of this year. So we we got one more of these. Do we know the title of the next episode? I don't know. I don't think so. It may may say on Wikipedia on the article. I don't know. Maybe. So zombies is a metaphor. Yeah. I'd like to see the the overwrought state, the security state. That's yeah. what I want to see. I you know, see. it's so bulked up that it winds up being the last part to collapse. Right. So, what are everyone's predictions for the last episode? Well, I guess... I want more zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm thinking the zombies get out of the stadium yeah. or That's come up from mm-hmm. L.A. Mm-hmm. or wherever they've been Overrun hiding. The city, yeah. yeah. The next episode is called The Good Man. The Good Man. I hope it's about that... Uh, black man that we saw in the jail. The yeah. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. But he's not a good man. Yes, he uh, is. <laughs> it's an ironic sort of a title, perhaps. Good and evil do not really exist in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, he may be an yeah. effective sociopath. I love him. <laughs> I love him too, but. He's the greatest. To me, the good men are Daniel and Travis. Travis is boring. Yeah, Travis is boring, but he's. You know, almost I mean, goody goody, right? Yeah, he does have like a very strong moral compass, so much so that it's kind of his downfall. It's detrimental right. to the party, I think. And yeah. Daniel, like, he's a good man, but he's torturing this man to information. So I think that the rich black man that we met in the prison is also a good man because he's getting things done and he's protecting Nick, who is somebody that's right. vital to our cast right now. Right. right. So I think he is a good man. I, <laughs> I, he's a great character. Maybe the ends justify the means. Situation ethics, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, all I'm saying is if you think that Daniel is a good man, then the rich black man in the jail is also a good man. Well, by good, I guess <laughs> I mean that Daniel and Travis have a conscience. Because yeah. I don't think the dude in jail has a conscience. I think he just, he's closed. I close, you know. I, yeah. uh, that's what I do, and... He reads people and, you know, manipulates them to, to his ends. And People long-term, they see through that. I mean, we as a state, as dumb as we are, and in spite of the fact that we elected and then re-elected Governor Bob Jindal, he's pretty much in the tank now. People have recognized this guy doesn't care for us. Now... Some and of us picked up on that right now, but he's about to abandon his presidential. He won't. He's a lifestyle candidate. <laughs> He'll be in there until the they chase him out, right? Yeah. In the polls right now, he's kind of like way towards the end, and I'm happy about that. One percent or less than one percent yeah. is pretty tiny. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is hysterical. But something that's not hysterical. If Vitter gets to be governor, <laughs> it's, it's, if Vitter gets to be governor, I can so see Jindal uh, <laughs> running to be. Senator, they could just swap hats and diapers. <laughs> I always love a good diaper joke when it comes to David Fair. That's right. Uh, a classic. <laughs> well, he's uh, maintaining the old South by campaigning in his Confederate diapers, his Confederate flag diaper. Yeah. He likes that white linen. Well, that's another <laughs> costume there. Uh, <laughs> no, the, 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 they used to be made out of white linen. Linen. <laughs> we were kids. A very southern thing would be like, 
Yeah, linen would work. Maybe like <laughs> seersucker. Yeah. Seersucker. Yeah, that'd be good. It's very southern. Um, yeah, so anyway... Um, People eventually see through the fact that this person does not care for you. You can't keep that act up forever. Right. But I think that I think that it all kind of depends on how you want to define good. Right. Because right, right. if you want to define good as like having a conscience, then yeah, so far we've got Travis and Daniel and those are our good men. And of course like the younger kids, I mean right. Chris is a good man. I think Nick is also a good man. He has a conscience. He's a user, but he's a good person. But if you define good as doing good things and being useful and helping the general populace, regardless of a conscience and regardless of like what you have to do to get what you need, I think that the man in jail is also a good man. Yeah. I think he could be effective. I think... Unless he has a moment where he wakes up. Like, right now he doesn't care, you know. He's, he's just... kind of like, in like, I think his alignment is kind of like a, a chaotic neutral, sort of. He's kind of leaning more towards there, whereas we've got, like... He's a disaster capitalist. He's made an investment in <laughs> really, Nick true. with his last two cufflinks. Yeah. Um, and he expects a return on the investment. Like, he's already angling... Which is interesting. Did y'all watch, um, I think we've talked about it before, Mr. Robot this summer? Mm-mm. There's this, there's evil core, yeah. you know, and uh, <laughs> this hacker is determined to bring it down and yeah, everybody owes money to evil core. So he's going yeah. to erase all those obligations. And by the end, he's done it. But the downside is ATMs don't work. You can't tr- make transactions. All the banks have closed. And it's a little... You know, on the last night, we see the evil core president, who's just cool, calm, and collected because he's already angling about how are we going to turn this into a profit because, yeah. you know, disaster capitalism holds that when there's a Katrina, you just rush in right. yeah. and pick the bones clean. And if there is no Katrina, you make a Katrina. Yeah. It was you actually know, Like in Iraq. It was you actually know, practiced in Poland and Russia just as the communist walked. Disintegrated, right? We practiced there before. Yeah, that may have been where the, the uh, where the theory developed. Possibly, I you just know, know what was going on in Russia. This yeah. is why you got all those oligarchs and those Russian multimillionaires. Right, you so had these seventy years of communist production that were just suddenly being privatized, <laughs> stolen. And people by, exploiting it, you see, right. exploiting the, the chaos that followed. Oh, we've been going an hour. Are there any last thoughts before we um, adjourn for the week? Um, I think I've said most of what I needed to say. We will see in the future which one of us was right about him being a good man. You may be doing your Snoopy dance next time. I I will do a Snoopy dance if that is what it takes. I sort of have a Well, I was doing the Snoopy dance today when Daniel was on those desks. There aren't any good or bad people in this thing. That's what I was saying. Well, I come come back to the old Western metaphor. You know, that's why Westerns don't work for me because the, 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 the simplistic presentation has the guy in the black hat and the guy in the white hat. Yeah. Everybody's got a gray dusty hat. Yeah, like, you know... Does it, does it make sense? Lisa I mean, may be a bitch to her ex-husband, but she actually does care for these patients mm-hmm. quite a bit. You yeah. know, it's very... Now, every one of these characters 
there's a complexity to it. Except Ophelia, we haven't seen her full range yet, but I think that will come if she survives long enough, where they do stuff that one week they're, oh yeah, that's great, and one week, oh no, that's terrible, and that's most of us. I think that the concepts of good and evil are basically null in the zombie apocalypse. You have evil functioning as the zombies, and then humanity is good. Then you have, like, dissension in humanity, Right. But I think that this general concept of, oh, you're an evil person, you yeah. stole from a convenience store, like, no, that's going to go out the window because right. everybody has to do what is good for them. Everybody kind of, like, going back on alignments, everybody can be kind of teetering along on, like, a true good or, like, a lawful good sort of scale. But once the zombie apocalypse happens, everybody's going to, like, lean more towards true neutral, like, looking out for number one. Right. Yeah, because at that point, it's all about survival. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, I think long-term, you have to look out for your tribe. If you're just looking out for yourself, right. I think so then too. you'll lose them. But, but number one could be your tribe. Right. Yeah. Then you've got the problem of, like, Terminus, which yeah. is an ominously named city, if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they are in that universe truly evil and need to be put down like Rick wants to go back when they've broken out and they're you know meeting up on the hill uh, he wants to go back and kill everyone they don't get yeah. to live and they talk him out of it and yeah. then like a couple of weeks later the Terminus survivors kidnap one of their people from their camp and chop off his leg and eat it in front of him yeah. <laughs> and then they try to you know um, scare the camp into surrendering or something and yeah. wind up getting themselves killed. But there's no question that last showdown, they do have to die. Right. You, know, you, you can't just... Because they're saying, well, if you let us go, we'll just go away and we won't ever come back. You can't trust that. Because yeah. they've already shown they won't, they won't honor that kind of commitment. So, you know, if you've ruined your word with people to the point that they can't possibly trust you, then they have to kill you. Right. So there's yeah. there's a kind of pragmatic quality to morality that mm-hmm. you know, if Rick tells you something, he's going to do it. So it's not good without alloy, you know. But yeah. There is evil without alloy. Right. Well even yeah. there though, they they got that way for a reason. They used to be decent people and you know, some evil people broke in and held yeah. them captive and they finally got out, so they became <coughs> the thing that they hated, you know. It's a if if yeah, you can't get table. enough of zombies, there's going to be a Fear of the Walking Dead spinoff. Yeah, I saw that. Called uh, oh, the, Fear of the, the Walking plane. Dead Flight 462, yeah. which is essentially zombies on a plane. I'm really excited. <laughs> I wonder if they really also excited. have snakes on that plane. And uh, Samuel <laughs> L. Jackson. No, I'm just tired of that. <laughs> All right. Well, for the uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, a podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. I'm Steve Payne. I'm Quinn Warner. And I'm Sean Ague. And we will be back here next week for our final episode of the first season. Bye for now. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodbye, Quinn. Oh, okay. (laughs) Goodbye. I'll see you next time. I love you. (laughs) Goodbye. Thanks for listening.